0: Well, good morning. How we? Thank you. As we're kind of getting stuff out of the way, I'll I'll move over. But I want to encourage you guys in, in maybe a specific way. Oh, I didn't do it. See, that was all Kyle on that one, right? But um, you know, in, in Shawnee we have a um, we have a five p.m. service, and so after the morning, you know, my routine now this time of year started last weekend is I go home, uh, I go home from uh, service, the, the teaching, and I. Um, turn on my NASCAR race, and then I set my recliner, and then I'll look at my clock, and I'm like, oh my gosh, i got to get out of this thing and go back to church at 5, right? You know how sometimes you go home and you get cozy in something, and it's hard to kind of get going again? You know, maybe you do that at night. I want to use that really fast, just that illustration quickly, to encourage you folks here uh, to be cautious of the cozy uh, when you think about how God is blessing this congregation, how God is blessing this local church. Um, I know this story gets told often, but we're only just a little over a year out. But, you know, it wasn't a year and a half ago that there was just a handful of folks. And now God has, was it, a couple weeks ago, I heard that you guys had 225 people that were To me, that's just amazing. And and so here's kind of what I wanted to encourage you in. If you are were a part of that team from back in uh, 2000 in 15, kind of January, February, who were here on launch Sunday, and you've been with Edgerton, uh, New City Edgerton, ever since that time, I want to encourage you to be cautious of the cozy, because it looks so different from 7 to 200 plus. For those of us who were here when it was smaller, we can very easily go, wow, this is so great. But may I remind us all that there are still thousands of people at home this morning who are lost and need the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ lived again, and that they're currently not even thinking about going to church this morning. Maybe the reason they're not at church this morning is because they've been hurt, and there ain't no hurt like a church hurt. And could I just encourage us as a congregation to keep that evangelistic zeal to not neglect our neighbors because this feels so much better than what it used to. Is that cool? Because... This is what's always encouraging, and how I would invite you guys to join me and uh, Casey and the team in prayer, is that what God did here at Edgerton, I kind of believe that God is stirring that again with another opportunity for New City Church to have a third and fourth campus. And so I would appreciate those of you who were there early on, and actually all of you, to be, just be praying for wisdom, pray for guidance, um, that we uh, would follow what the Lord's doing and not try to make something on, on our own. Is that, is that fair? It's really exciting. Uh, my name is Matt, as uh, Pete said. I'm one of the pastors um, in the, at New City Church. I was talking to, actually to Matt earlier, and he's like, so are you like the area pastor? And I, I know many of us, we you, don't, you see me maybe once every five weeks when I come to Edgerton. I guess my official title, if you care about official titles, I don't know if I really care about official titles, but I would be known as the directional leader of New City Church. And so I, I, I love to plant the next thing, right, to coach, to encourage, to make sure that what we are doing is as healthy as it can be, that we're in line with the scriptures, and then to release guys like Casey and the team uh, to, to go and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, um, and it's so much fun to be able to come here and to celebrate what God is doing. Now, we're continuing this series called At the Cross, and during this teaching time, we've been looking at the statements that Jesus made from the cross. Not going to the cross, not after the cross, but Jesus actually said some statements from the cross, and we've been looking at what he said and why he said them. And what is different about Today's statement, today's statement is one of the most critical, crucial statements made in Scripture because it initiates, this statement this morning initiates the reconciliation of creation back to our Father God. It is here with what Jesus says that we, that, that the unseen, the thing that's happening in the cosmos between um, the Father and the Son where the sacrifice is taking place that we're going to have the opportunity as people who are far from God because of our sin that we're going to have access to the Father for this sacrifice And it's a great, great, greatly important statement that he makes. And this is where the writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all write about the crucifixion. So if someone says, how many gospels are there? The answer is not four. The answer is one. There's one gospel with four gospel accounts. And each of the gospel writers, they talk about the crucifixion. And at this point, with this statement, they shift the focus from the physical pain that Jesus has been going through. I mean, up to this point, his beard's been pulled out, a crown of thorns has been shoved onto his head. He's been whipped, he's been beaten, he's been spat upon, he's been uh, basically physically destroyed. And the writers now shift from what his physical body has been, taken onto what his personal inner side, the anguish within That Jesus is about to experience. Some of us in this room, physically, you're fine. Nobody's pulled out your beard. Rarely do you get spat upon, right? Nobody's shoving thorns into your brow. Nobody's hitting you with a whip. At least I hope not. If not, let's talk after church and get you into a safe place, right? But you are in anguish. Like there's stuff, inner things going on in you where you're not sleeping. Your mind is constantly condemning you. Um, what the words of someone else is consistently condemning you, and you're in mental anguish, you're, you're in great strife, and this, and in, in Mark chapter 15 is going to be our key text, this is where the writers begin to look at what's going on within Jesus, and how the sacrificial process begins to happen, and so I, w- I almost want us to look at this, I think that today, I hope that I share something that's going to help you in your personal Bible study time, I think this. Is, I think you're going to learn something today. Where you're like, wow, I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. I'm going to apply that the next time that I'm reading my Bible. But I'll, let's look at the core scripture. This is found in Mark 15:34. It's also found in the other each each Gospel Matthew, uh, Luke, and John. But in Mark is going to, where we're going to read it from. Mark 15:34 says this. Around three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He's on the cross. He cried out in a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sakatani." Right, And then because the writer knew that we wouldn't understand that probably, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark and all of the other authors, they do this. They give the actual words that Jesus says in, in Aramaic, and then they translate it for all of the Gentile readers or all the other folks that wouldn't be able to speak Aramaic to know what he said. They really want us to know what he said, and we're going to discover today maybe why why he said it. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus was in anguish. This is not the first time in Scripture that you see Jesus uh, just really, really uh, feeling it inside. Just a chapter earlier in Mark 14, Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's look at this scripture, Mark 14 32. It says, Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, left the rest of the guys back, and became very troubled and distressed. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay alert. Some of us feel like our soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Like you just, you got here this morning and you're like, thank God I made it here. Because you just, no, that's not everybody's story, but we've all been in that season, right? I mean, we've all been in this season where you're just overwhelmed. Going a little further, Jesus threw himself to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour would pass from him. He said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. Now, this is, the, this is the first kind of connection I want you to make. Is in the garden, in a time of great distress, Jesus says this word, Abba, which means? You want to guess? Father, yeah. He's talking to his daddy. He says, Father, man, this is a lot. I ask that you would take this cup from me, but not my will, but what you will. Right? But he calls him Daddy. There's this great relationship, Father and Son. On the cross, the next chapter of Mark 15, where we see Jesus again in great anguish, he doesn't say Abba, Eloi. The language has changed. He's not saying, my father, now he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what is taking place there? What is happening here is how Jesus, a style that Jesus often taught in, and the the, the easiest way for me to describe it is by using this word called a, a hint. Like how many of you in the room can are pretty quick to memorize songs you hear on the radio? Come on, raise my pie. I mean, you know this stuff, right? Like, like if I hear that song, watch me, watch me one more time. I'm going to knock somebody out, right? Like, you know, or you just hear something. So um, this is how it works in the Miller household. At home, uh, I'm not like um, publicly. Like you would never see me break out in a dance, like at a wedding. I'm not going to be on the dance floor. I'm just not going to do it. Right. Now, Pastor Chris and Casey, they'll have a ball. Right. They have no shame. Me. No, I'm not. I'm way too insecure. Right. And uh, like but at home, I'm a goofy dad. At home, you will see me do silly dances or you won't see me. You have to trust that I'm telling the truth. Um, But I'll do goofy dances and I make up words to songs. And like uh, my my kids right now, they love the song. Uh, Oh, I think I found me a cheerleader. You know that song? Oh, so I've changed it because they're first graders. Oh, I think that I found me a first grader. You know, it's just crazy. Like, Dad, shut up. You know, but they're six. And so, but at our house, if you were to be a fly on the wall, at any given moment, oh, no, I'm about to sing. It's not going to be pretty, but I'm just going to give you a taste of the Miller household and an example of what a hint would look like. My kids are, I have twin girls that are six and a son that's a four, right? And at any given moment in the house, morning, afternoon, night, any time that they're awake, if you heard me say, what is love? My kids would all shout out, baby, don't hurt me. That's what they would do. Like they had been programmed with that, right? If I say, what is love? doesn't matter. Baby, don't hurt me. Like they can't help but say it. God help them if they're ever on an interview. And that song comes over the speaker somewhere because they will say in their interview, baby, don't hurt me. And they're not get the job. Anyway, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave a hint. And not for us, because most, most of us, maybe we would completely miss this. I know that I would complete. This is a new learning for me, a recent learning. But everybody that was present that day at the cross, from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to the Jewish folk, when Jesus said, what is love? Everybody, was, baby, don't hurt me. What Jesus, when Jesus would have said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everybody there would finish, not the song, but they would have finished the psalm. Because what Jesus did was sing a line, if you will, from Psalms chapter 22. And, what Jesus, and Jesus says this all the time in his ministry. And so now why is that important? Because when you understand that Jesus is quoting from a psalm, here's, what you, here's, here's how your mind has to think through this. He's not just referring to Psalms twenty-two one; he's referring to the entire Psalms 22. Because this scripture here is a scripture of great debate, A lot of confusion. Is this where God leaves Jesus? Is this where Jesus is simply cut off from the Father? Like, what's going on here? And here Jesus says, not my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Giving a hint to Psalms 22. And so let's look at Psalms 22. This is be a, just kind of a fun one for you to, to read through, uh, uh, maybe as a, a devotion this week, to see what King David is saying. So from the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of those religious leaders would have automatically finished the psalm. Because they all knew it by heart. Like they, they had the scriptures memorized. I know we don't have the scriptures memorized. right? We were the scriptures by chapter and verse reference. They, would, they didn't have chapters and verse at that time. It would have had the entire psalm memorized, and here's what would have gone through their head based on Psalms chapter 22. David starts off Psalms 22 by saying, my God, my God, why why have you abandoned me? And then he just kind of goes into this thing, and we have it up here on the slides, where he is crying out to God about his great anguish that he's in. King David was in great anguish, and so as he's bearing his soul, he's also being prophetic in what he writes. This is interesting. King David is crying out to a real circumstance that he's in where his heart is crying out. He feels completely betrayed. He feels completely abandoned. But as he is writing this psalm, writing this poetry, he is also going to write prophetic words that will come into play a thousand years later when Jesus is on the cross. And so, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, David cries out to God. And then it's like David has this flashback. And in Psalms chapter uh, 22, verse three, just two verses later, he reminds himself, he writes and he talks about how, wait, God, you have been so faithful to my ancestors. So I want you to kind of aboard the crazy train for a little bit that King David's going to drive. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster where he's going to be in anguish and then he's going to come out of it. There's going to be in anguish and he's going to come out of it. And he comes out of it first, reminding himself, writing about how God was faithful to his grandparents and their grandparents. He's looking at his background, his family, his his, uh, ancestry.com, and he's being reminded about how God was faithful to his family. And then immediately he goes back into the anguish. He says, I'm a worm. He's he's right back in the self-pity, back in the reality of what's going on. Verse 6, but I am a worm, not a man. People insult me and despise me. All who see me, taunt me. They mock me and shake their heads. They say, commit yourself to the Lord. Come on. All mocking statements. Same thing Jesus Jesus was going through on the cross. Then what happens? David writes. He's in this despair. He's in this anguish, this funk that's going on. And then he pulls himself right back out of it. And starting in verse 9, Now he doesn't talk about his family. He reminds himself, he writes about how God has been faithful to him. Look what David says. You are the one who brought me out of the womb. It made me feel secure on my mother's breast. I have been dependent upon you since birth. From the time I came out of my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so, again, I'm going to keep reminding us of this. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't just stop at verse 1. Jesus is going through this entire psalm in his head. And some believe that he actually would have quoted the entire psalm 22 from the cross. Maybe the writers just gave the hint to let the reader know of that day that he would have finished it. But we don't know that, right? All we know is we just have this one verse where it's seemingly that God has left Jesus. But it's this roller coaster. He remembers the, the present anguish. Then David writes about the family, how God is faithful to the family, back to the anguish. Then he remembers what God has done for him personally. And then he's back to the anguish. And it's just kind of this deal, this up and down going. And what I believe is happening on the cross is Jesus is simply going through the process of, being, of staying true to his calling. Here's maybe some application for us. What do you do spiritually? when your life enters a time of crisis? Like, how do you walk in your faith? How do you stay strong in your following of Jesus when life simply stinks? Because listen, if you haven't gone through a season of personal anguish, I promise you, you will. Anybody ever gone through anguish? Come on, anybody that's probably over 20, right? Right, like we, we go through things. And for those of us who are under 20 in the room, when I was 18, that was my first time of anguish, right? And at the time, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die, right? It was my high school sweetheart. We, we broke up. And at that time of my life, that was the biggest thing I'd ever been through. Now, looking back on it, I still remember how sad I was, but I have went through a lot worse stuff since then. How I wish. That's all I had, right? But at the time, in my, my context and all I knew, good gravy was I a mess, if you ever had a broken heart, you know it. You're, you're, there's no medicine for that. Well, I guess you can stay drunk. but you sober up, you're going to feel it again. There's just there's nothing. You just have to endure. How do we respond when life isn't what we want it to be? Here, Jesus is on the cross, and he quotes Psalms 22. God, I seems, so here, here, I'm going to help us. I'm going to kind of paraphrase, and I'm going to finish the psalm. I'm going to, the hint. It's kind of like Jesus is on the cross, and he's like, oh my gosh, it seems that you're so far away, but yet I remember. But yet it seems that you're so far away, but yet I remember. Well, it seems that you're so far away, but you're not. And he, that's, that's what's going through Jesus' mind. Now, of course, Jesus knows this. He communicates it publicly. Why does he do that? Um, here's my thought. When I moved to Kansas City in May of 2010, um, and, begin began the process of starting this thing that we were going to eventually call New City Church, I came to Kansas City knowing one, one family, Dan and Mary Sutherland, the pastors of Westside Family Church, and I knew Dan this much. I, we came here, I mean, completely alone, had a lot of support, a lot of people encouraging us, but we came here alone, and there were lots of nights, can I just be, can I, how, can I be, like, really honest and, like, just, I'm going to be honest, you get mad at me, you get mad at me, um, there would be nights when I'd be laying in bed, and I would roll over my back to my wife, and I'd be looking at kind of the clock on the nightstand, and I would say this. What the hell am I doing? What are we doing? We took a serious pay cut. We left all of our friends and family in Florida. What, or what, Lord, what am I, now listen, I didn't say that out loud. My wife's asleep. I don't, she, you wake my wife up when she's asleep, it's bad, right? Um, I'm, I'm thinking this. I'm just, I'm just being honest with what I thought. Like, those words, right, I'm not, like, I'm just telling you, some of you get offended by that word, it doesn't matter. But that's how, that's how, I mean, that's where I was. Like, what am I doing? And it was amazing. That happened on two occasions. And each time, the Holy Spirit, just, I, just, I'm just, you gotta, I hope you believe me, just would be, take me on this journey of God's faithfulness in my life. And how God had got me to Gladstone, Missouri, on Normandy Drive, at that point. How I'd been, grew up in a little town called Light, Arkansas, maybe 50 people. And how he had opened this huge door for me to move to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to be a part of this wonderful church. And all of the things in between, these dips and valleys of the good and the bad. How I, that's where I met my wife. I mean, just all of these things. And I would go to sleep. Well, it started with great anguish. What am I doing to my family? To, oh my gosh, I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Are you with me? And I didn't say a word. But all of that happened. Now, why do I tell you that story? It's because Jesus didn't have to say that for that to be true. But he spoke it out loud. Why? For the benefit of those there. Because everyone there who was a part of his crucifixion, they would have finished the psalm. And they might have thought that this man was so bad, they might have thought all of these things, but they couldn't have helped but finish the song. baby, don't hurt me. And they would have known, oh my gosh, every word that David wrote, that's what he's saying. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Now, I'm going to jump ahead to next week because we can't end the service on that passage alone because Jesus has two cries from the cross. And at that first cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it seems that all of these things are going down. That's when the salvation begins to happen the hope of the world. This is where Jesus begins to actually finalize, complete the mission that which he came for. Why did Jesus come? He said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. How is he going to do that? No one is going to kill me. I'm going I'm to allow myself to go to the cross and I'm going to lay down my life for you. Why? Greater love has no man than this that he would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus has willingly gone to the cross and now at that moment the great ultimate sacrifice is beginning where the perfect Lamb of God, the one who has no sin, the perfect 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 sacrifice is now beginning. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in great anguish with what's going on. But he doesn't end there. Look what Jesus says next. This is found in Luke 23, verse 46. It says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said this, he breathed his last. Now, when he said that, here's what he did. He gave another hint, but this time it's not Psalms 22. Now he's referring to Psalms 31. But again, everyone there that day, because of how they were raised and how they were taught and everything that was put before them as, as, as very valuable information, they would have all connected the dot immediately to King David, Psalms 31. They would have finished the psalm. But I want you to notice this psalm. I think this is really, really powerful. He says this. Look again at Luke 23, 46. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's out of Psalms 31.5, which says this, into your hand I entrust my life. All right, can we go to that next slide? Because I want people to see the difference. We're going to go back and forth, okay? This is Psalms 31, into your hand I entrust my life. Go back one, please. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you guys catch the difference yet? Go back to, go back to Psalms. Into your hand, I entrust my life. Look for the extra word this time. Go back to Luke. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's the extra word? Who's he talking to? Oh, what? Daddy's back. In our times of anguish, if you're not careful, you will think that your father's not there. You will think that you are all alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? Where are you? And all of a sudden, the next thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is Psalms 31.5, but he inserts a word. He's no longer talking to my God. Now it's back to my Father. My Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. God has never, ever left you. Sometimes, sometimes, let me back up. Could it be every time that you're in a time of anguish? Could it be that it's God choosing to let you be in that anguish so that He can complete something in your life? I want to prove this. In Psalms 22, the roller coaster of God, are you there? Wait, of course you're there. God, are you there? Wait, of course you're there. God, are you there? Of course you're there. And then the Psalms 31. And when you look in Psalms 31, I love this scripture. Verse 22. Look what King David writes. And again, when Jesus would have quoted Psalms 31.5, he would have been thinking the entire, the, the entire uh, psalm, not just that one sentence. Psalms 31.22 says this. It's not on the screens. King David writes, I jumped to conclusions and said, I am cut off from your presence. See, King David had this uh, all of a sudden uh, this observation. Wow, well, God, I thought you had abandoned me. God, I thought you were far off. But now Psalms 31. But I jumped to conclusions. I've never been cut off from your presence. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, if you're here this morning and you see yourself going into a storm, can I just encourage you, in the storm, when the waves are high, when things are going on that are beating the snot out of your life, man, God is there. And please don't sin by saying, God, where are you? Jesus was reminding us that although it may seem It may seem, as he's on the cross, and he is in great anguish, it may seem to the world, it may seem to those who were there present, it may seem to all future readers that God had abandoned him. He said, no, he has not, for he is always with me. However, this must happen. You guys realize that um, um, this wasn't Jesus' first time to Calvary. You know, Calvary, that's kind of the place that uh, has been labeled for where the cross happened. That wasn't Jesus' first time to Calvary. I mean, you can read in Genesis, the first few chapters, where there's plural language, where the Creator says, Let us. Right? It's plural language, right? Let us make man in our image. I mean, John says that the Word became flesh and, 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 and moved into the neighborhood, that the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. Like, Jesus was with the Father from the very beginning. So, like, He had seen all of these things take place. And so, Jesus was there the day that God said to Abraham, I want you to take your one and only Son. And I want you to take him up on that hill. And that hill was the same hill that Jesus was on this day, the hill of Calvary. And did you know that? That the very same hill where God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is the exact same hill where Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice for all of the world. And Jesus was there because he's with God since the beginning, and he watches Abraham with tears rolling down his face with great tension and great anguish and great stress as he is about to sacrifice his one promise, his only son, because God asked him to, and he's going to be obedient. And so he takes his boy up there, and he lays his boy on the altar, and he gets ready to slit his son's throat. Like sometimes we think that it was like this big stabbing motion. No, the way they sacrificed animals was they would to put their hand on the head, and they would have slit the throat of the animal. And can you see Abraham with the, the knife raised, ready to go for the action, and the angel of the Lord stopping him because God sees that Abraham will be obedient even in the most grateful thing but the connection that I want you to make this morning is in that moment it was like Jesus saying no that's not your sacrifice to make it's mine and there will come a day when I will walk that hill of Calvary with the cross on my back And I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be bruised and I'm going to be humiliated and my arms are going to be outstretched and people are going to hurl insults at me and people are going to say, yeah, I knew you weren't the Messiah. I knew that whole thing was a hoax. I knew this faith thing was just a bunch of wishful thinking. And it's going to seem to everybody else that my God, my God has forsaken me. But let me remind you that I jumped to a conclusion and I was never cut off from God's presence. Church family this morning, you know, I I, I kind of have this evangelistic flair at times. There are people all around us at your workplace, at your school, in your families, who feel completely abandoned, and they're mad at God. Maybe you're mad at God. You don't understand how God, a loving God, would allow you to go through whatever it is you're going through. But I would say this: trust in the Lord remind yourself of his faithfulness remind yourself of your story of how God has seen you through how God has got you here to this moment how in the world have you even gotten to the place that you would even be able to blame God and then trust and just trust him that he is accomplishing something he is accomplishing something in your life that cannot be accomplished in any other way here's why if you fight against what God's trying to do and you try to stop it and you're trying to make it go away, my fear is this, is you will have to go through it again. Don't, there's no need to go through it again. Wait. Be patient on the Lord. Endure your cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Like sometimes the cross is just the part of following Jesus, but he is there. Amen. We're going to do a song that I love. It's called How Great Thou Art. And when I was a young guy, and I'm still kind of a young guy, but there was a time when I was 18 and 19. And um, I was at this little church called Southside Community Church in Paragould, Arkansas. That's where I started my relationship with the Lord. And it, was a, it wasn't a charismatic church, but it was a church that really cried out to God all the time. And I would say that on most Sundays, on those days where I felt the Lord speaking to me, which was most Sundays there, to be honest with you, I found myself at the altar, knelt down praying about what I just heard that day and that God would simply let that come alive in me. And so can I encourage you this morning, if that's your story, And that there's not a more safe place than bowing down to the feet of Jesus at this altar right here. And just praying and just crying out to him that he will see you through it. To build up your confidence that you know that he's there. And to maybe honestly confess your sin of being, you know what Lord? This entire time I've been complaining and griping and moaning about my situation. And I need to repent of that. Take this cup from me, but not my will, your will, Father. You're the boss. And I've been praying, Father, and I've been complaining that you would change my circumstances and that you would change this environment, that you would change whatever's going on. But, God, can I be the one who changed? Father, may I be the one that would submit my life to what you're doing instead of asking you to submit what you're doing into my life. And there is something, guys, I believe that's powerful about bowing and getting down on your face before the Lord just as an act of, you're the boss. And I don't like this, and we don't have to play games and pretend that you like it, put on a smile and get in your car and cuss God. It's to be honest, say, Lord, this is really frustrating, but I submit my frustration to you. Because you are God and I am not. And I know that nothing happens by accident. Some of us in the room, the reason you're in your English, it's not because God brought you into it, it's because you drove right in the middle of it. Here's some encouragement for you. Romans Paul writes that God reconciles all things. God makes all things good for those who love Him and are called according to a purpose. God can take your broken, jacked-up mess, and He begin to put it back together. That it, it, Maybe it just forms this beautiful, shattered uh, a vase, this mosaic, where you're like, oh my God, but God just begins to heal you. Again, confession. Father, I've made this mess, it's not yours, and I've been blaming you for it. can I give it to you now? And will you begin to reconcile my life? Will you begin to heal me and make me new? Those are all great things to pray. This is my prayer for us this morning, and I'm done. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now, and what will you do about it? As Pete and the guys lead us in an awesome classic song, How Great Thou Art, you come and join me as we pray. Amen.